Well, at some point, our mothers sat us down and passed on to us the secret of keeping things civil. It's not polite to talk about politics and religion, dear, and definitely not in the same conversation. Remember that secret? Remember that talk? Maybe you went out to lunch after church with your family one Sunday and you sat down at your table at the restaurant and the family next to you was wrapping up their meal as they were sitting down, clearly dressed like they had been to the beach or the pool and your little sister yells with no attempt to be quiet, Mommy, why don't they go to church? And your mom says, shh, it's not polite to talk about religion in public, dear. Inexplicably, one Tuesday, you don't have school and your dad makes you get dressed and he drags you down to the local fire department where there are all kinds of signs and all sorts of people handing out cards and asking your dad all the way in, do you know who you're voting for, sir? Do you know? And so it seems, it seems only natural when you're inside in line to ask innocently and a little bit too loudly, so dad, who are you voting for? And it gets really quiet and everyone leans in and your dad said, sweetheart, we don't talk about politics or religion. This is the proverbial wisdom. It was written down in 1879 in Hill's book, A Social Etiquette. Emily Post in 1920 publishes a book called Etiquette Herself and she writes this same thing. She writes a whole chapter devoted to this proverb, it's just not polite to talk about politics and religion. It's worth noting that Mrs. Post wouldn't have gotten along at all with the apostle Paul. Paul talked about both ad nauseum at every table he found himself at in the ancient Greco-Roman world over and over and over again. Paul, like Jesus, challenged the empire and religious know-it-alls by highlighting the politics of the kingdom of God in the midst of the politics of the day. Politics from the Latin means citizen, polis meaning city. It's merely the way we live out together this common public life. And for the sake of this sermon series, when we say the politics of God, we mean the way of Jesus. We see acted out throughout scripture how God demonstrates in Jesus the way we are to live in relationship with one another. These are God's politics. Paul today is writing to the church he planted, this little covenant community, and he is reminding them of what's really important, what really matters when it all comes down to it. The way Paul emphasizes what really matters is he uses this word truth, the truth of the gospel as he calls it. He uses the word truth like a highlighter in order to make all the words around it shine. For Paul in Galatia, he uses the word truth one time per chapter, attempting to bring us all back to the essence, the truth of this thing called the gospel. Truth be told, Paul's insistence on using the word truth may be why we're so uncomfortable with his writings. You know, Paul's always been a bit didactic with his strong do's and don'ts. Do this, says Paul. Don't do that, says Paul. Didn't I tell you, says Paul. 
truth be told, we don't really like to talk about truth and religion in the same sentence because it kind of comes off as sanctimonious, superior, arrogant. After all, it's religion, right? Who's to say what's really true, right? It's subjective. You have your beliefs. I have my beliefs. The church down the road has their beliefs. And so really, who's to say what's really true? And so writing to that little church in Galatia that Paul planted, it could have been about 70 people in an elementary school, cavagimatorium. He's reminding them of what truth is, the way that leads to life. Paul turns to what a true Christian is. I don't know about you, but growing up, I had a whole lot of people telling me a whole lot of things about what a true Christian is. There was my childhood friend's Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher who was convinced that I was not a true Christian because I had not yet said the sinner's prayer, which I had not heard of up until that point. And so my friend spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get me to pray the sinner's prayer. Has anyone ever heard of this? This, after all, is what makes you a true Christian. There was a Pentecostal referee at one of my soccer games who was convinced that I wasn't a true Christian because I hadn't prayed for the Holy Spirit in that little Baptist church down the road. And so he spent an inordinate amount of time trying to convince me that true Christians have prayed to receive the Holy Spirit There was my friend Heather, who if she spent the night at my house on Saturday night, she had to go home early on Sunday morning because she was Catholic and she had to go to the true church. She couldn't come to my Pentecostal church. She was not to be outdone by my other friend Sammy, who would be picked up even earlier than her so that she could drive 45 minutes across town to the Greek Orthodox church. That was the true church. And as I discovered faith anew in the Methodist church in my late teens, the common denominator seemed to be that true Christians were just really nice people. I had a lot of opinions thrown my way about what a true Christian was. A lot of people would tell me, very few people would show me. One of those few people was my 10th grade algebra teacher, Mrs. Taylor, a beautiful Jamaican woman. I can still hear the sound of her voice ringing out across the classroom when one of us would drop a calculator in the most beautiful Caribbean accent. She would jokingly yell, save the pieces. And we would drop our calculators over and over and over again just to hear her say it and chuckle. Miss Taylor would tell us stories about growing up in Jamaica and she was never shy about sharing vulnerably sharing vulnerably about the racial discord and socioeconomic disparity in her own country and many times drawing parallels to our country. In our class, there were a few boys who would drive to school every day in their daddy's truck, flying that Confederate flag from the back and screaming bigoted slurs to other students in the student parking lot. And Miss Taylor knew them. She knew them and and their daddy because she had had many a less than pleasant encounter with them on a parent-teacher night. One day, one of the boys thought it'd be funny to bring a clan hood to school. I don't know where he got it, but there was an underground and active clan operating in Chesapeake well into the 90s. Miss Taylor's class and others, the boy would pull it out, pull out this clan hood whenever he wanted to show off talking about how those people, those people weren't going to scare him, how he was going to show people who was really in control. 
Everyone knew these boys. Very few people liked them. One day after he took out that hood in Miss Taylor's class, a group of students decided to confront the boys. Word around the school was that that boy was going to be put in the hospital that day after lunch. I remember before our lunch break that day, Miss Taylor put her hand on that boy's shoulder and led him out to the cafeteria. In the cafeteria, we saw Miss Taylor eating lunch with those boys, but while the rest of a 70% black school watched, waiting to pummel them. After school that day, Miss Taylor walked the boys out to the student parking lot and watched as they crowded into the back of that rebel flying pickup truck. Miss Taylor did that every day for the rest of the year. That, that according to Paul, is a true Christian. Someone who is offering their presence. Someone who is offering their presence, their life, their very body to bring reconciliation and hope in the midst of an increasingly schismatic world. Christians are those people who are following their Lord named Jesus, offering their life and their bodies to hold together God's beloved and fractured world. This is how God works. This is called covenant. As Christians, we are called to take on the vocation of covenant. That's what Paul's reminding Peter of in Galatians today. We get to the second chapter and Paul, in a flippant sort of way, calling Peter Cephas, which is a word he uses to remind Peter that he's supposed to be the head of this movement called church, but our head has forgotten his true vocation. There's a schism in the church and the cafeteria is divided. There are Jews and Gentiles, circumcised, uncircumcised, Peter at first is happy with eating with just about anybody and then his friends start coming back in and they start judging him for eating with all sorts of the wrong people and so Peter quickly gets up and leaves the circumcised ta- the uncircumcised table and moves to the circumcised table and in that moment when Peter incarnates schism Paul says he's no longer embodying the true faith in Christ Paul reminds the church in Galatia there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female. There are no divisions. There is no competition in God's kingdom. And so Christians who perpetuate and highlight divisions are somehow being less than true to their vocation of covenant. Christians, according to Paul, he reminds Cephas, are those people who enter deeply into divided places and offer themselves as adhesion, healing, holding together God's fractured world. That's what Paul reminds Peter of today. It's funny how those people who are supposed to be the most spiritually astute have trouble with this dose of truth. Now I remind you of that because we need this kind of dose of truth. In an increasingly schismatic society, we don't need more scissors. We need more glue. In a political environment where the two sides are splitting apart more violently, viciously, quickly, we don't need more people camped on one side or the other screaming about why they're right. We need people in the middle. 
people in the middle holding them together with practices of confession, repentance, forgiveness. We don't need more Republicans. We don't need more Democrats. We don't need more Americans. We need more Christians. We need more glue. We need people at Trump rallies not to convince them they're wrong, but to change the conversation with your presence. We need people talking to others who are wearing Hillary Clinton t-shirts not to convert them to your way of thinking, but to be converted together to recognize each other's mutual humanity. The call today is for you to seek to embody your true vocation of covenant. And according to this place and everything that's happened this year in the life of our church, here's the gospel truth You are not a Republican. You are not a Democrat. You are not an American. You are not white. You are not black. You are not Latino. You are Christian little Christs. And everywhere God's beloved world is fracturing apart, you are called to enter in deeply and offer yourself as the very adhesion that begins to bond together in covenant God's beloved world. You are not the scissors, saints. You are the glue. It's a funny thing how they make glue, by the way. It's also a funny thing, the kinds of things you begin to research when you're writing a sermon. Um, They have these big vats, and they get all the dry ingredients together, and they mix it up real good. And then when it's ready to be made into something that's actually adhesive, they add water. They pour water over the dry ingredients and then ship that out with to be adhesive to whatever it's to be applied to and in our service today we are going to be reminded of our vocation of covenant to be God's adhesive in a world that is fractured by remembering our baptism the covenant which binds all of us no matter what our denominational heritage or degree of skepticism that binds Republicans and Democrats, good-natured conservatives and bleeding-heart liberals in covenant together. This was the first sign of Jesus' ministry to a broken world. This was the first sign of Christ saying no to societal schism. This still remains as the most profound sign of God's move from competition to covenant. Baptism. May we be reminded today of this water that shows us the politics of God, that our vocation as humans and especially Christians is to enter into the divisions, sitting at all the wrong tables with all the wrong people in order to bind together God's beloved community.